Well, this morning we're going to start into a series uh, that I've entitled Victorious Living in Vile Times. And as we begin this series, we just need to kind of grasp the big picture here that living out a serious Christian faith in, in whatever world you're in, wherever that microphone went, whatever world we're in, uh, can be difficult, uh, whether it's first century uh, Judea or 21st century North America, because things like honesty, morality, fidelity, and integrity, though they follow us as we follow Jesus, they really don't fit into the world, do they? Those aren't the things the world values. The world will tell you this, lie if it helps your case. The world will tell you, you can define your own morality. The world will tell you faithfulness in marriage, that's so old-fashioned. And the world will tell you this, integrity is so out of date. So what do we do? Do we just go along to get along? Do we figure out how to walk the way the world does so that we fit in, so that people don't think we're strange or weird or odd? About 15 years after the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, the church at Jerusalem is facing some pretty, pretty difficult times. Uh, If you can imagine living in a culture as a Christian where the controlling political party are Romans and everything that went along with being a Roman was pretty much vile and pagan. And then you've also got the cultural control is under those who are people of God, supposedly, the Jews, and the way they lived and the rules and the regulations and the rituals that they imposed on the culture. And and you find yourself squeezed as a Christian between the Romans and the Jews trying to live in a city that's tough. Persecution never really stopped. Think uh, Stephen. You remember Stephen? He was stoned. Why? Because he followed Jesus. You might remember who stood there that day when he was stoned was a guy named Saul who became Paul. You might even have to find yourself as a family man trying to have to leave town because how are you going to take care of your family in the midst of a situation where the world has gone nuts and people are attacking and trying to kill you and your family because of your faith? So what Paul, uh, James is doing in this situation is very difficult. Paul has not risen to the, to the, to the situation yet. Paul's either out in the desert somewhere communing with God or he hasn't gotten to the point where he's persecuting over in, uh, uh, in Damascus and gets himself arrested or not arrested, but blinded and then, then saved. But we find James, half brother of Jesus. He's in the trenches, so to speak. He's living in Jerusalem. He's the bishop. And that's a different term than we use, but he was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem today and travel to the Armenian quarter, you're going, the what quarter? The Armenian quarter. There's actually a church there named the Church of St. James. And you go, okay, he was the first pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And about the 12th century, they built that church and they, someone painted a picture and put his picture in the front of the church. Does that sound very special? Except when you walk in, there's a body and then there's a head over here. Yeah. Welcome to church, the church of the beheaded. Because James lost his head literally for his faith in Jesus. You talk about a tough place to follow Jesus. But he, though he didn't follow Jesus when he was alive, 
Somewhere after the resurrection, he came to a realization that his older brother was somehow the Messiah and that he needed to trust him and to follow him. And so James is saying, we're, we're in a tough situation. There are folks having to move out of the area. They're called the diaspora, the dispersion. They had to move away because of the trials and the tribulations and the persecution. God's using that to share the gospel, by the way, around the world. And instead of dealing with niceties and pleasant things to open the book, James just jumps in with a bang. Bam, here it is. Now, some have said uh, James is kind of a weird gospel. It's a little different. It kind of has a feeling like, uh, not a gospel, but an epistle. It's kind of like a New Testament version of Proverbs. You read along, and then all of a sudden, it's like, we're over here. And you read along, and also, we're over here. The topic will kind of change on you. So you have to kind of watch that. But James is writing in that situation. Now, Martin Luther, when he came along, you know, Martin Luther, uh, 1995 Theses on the Door and all that stuff, he said this about the book of James or the letter of James. He said it's a right strawy, strawy epistle. He didn't put much stock in it. He didn't think it had a lot of meat to it or substance. But that quote has been taken out of context because in another writing, Luther said this, oh, about James, it is living, busy, active, it is a busy, living, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not, for faith not to be doing things incessantly. So even Luther says we've got to be doing something with our faith. And he went on to say this, whoever does not do such works is an unbeliever. So James is a book about how to live out your faith when things get tough. Thus the title, Victorious Living in Vile Times. I want us to read the first 12, 11 verses before we jump into this. Uh, Oh, by the way, last week was Zechariah 10, for those of you who were really concerned. The guy who put it in the bullets and messed it up. We'll just leave it at that. Well, let's pick up in James 1, verses uh, 1 through 11. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails, falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Father, I pray that as we take just a few minutes to look at this passage this morning, to consider the choices that we have to make when trials come. And God, the reality is every single one of us, if we're going to live out our life in Jesus, if we're going to live out a life of faithfulness, if we're going to be committed to Christ and let it change who we are and change the way we live, God will have to make these choices on a regular basis. Will we let the world beat us down? Will we sink to their level? Or will we rise to the level that God has for us of being victorious in life? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, there's three choices we do have to make. And the first one is this. When the trials come, we have to choose what? Godly perseverance. We've got to hang in there. 
James opens the letter. He dives right into the issue. He says this, trials are going to come. You're going to have trials in life. You're going to have hardship in life. You're going to have difficulty in life because you're following Jesus. You live a life for Jesus. You're going to have struggles at some point along the way. Now, thankfully, it's not always that way, but it is that way, and we have to deal with that. So the question becomes not, will I face trials? Why? Because we are. The question becomes, how am I going to deal with it when it comes? How do I respond? And there's a little bit of a word play going on between verses 1 and 2. You don't see it in the English, but the word greeting and, and um, count are, are related words. And he's trying to give an idea here of this. If you're going to go through this, if you're going to endure, if you're going to thrive, if you're going to be victorious, you're going to have to do something that's outside of what you're comfortable with as a human. You got to count it joy. What? When things get tough for me, I don't want to tell you. My first response is not going, "Yay, God, this is wonderful," right? Most of us get upset. We get angry. We get confused. We get frustrated. We get, get going. What am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? It's not. Uh, it's not a question of will you face it. The question is, is how will I face it? To a people who are literally having to relocate their families because of trials, to those who are literally facing possible death, for those who are literally losing jobs, losing ability to take care of themselves, losing the ability to be the people they want to be in the town that they've lived in all their lives, or at least most of their lives, they are having to make a decision how we're going to. And by the way, you can't control your circumstances often, but you can respond in a way that honors God. You can choose how you respond. You can choose to say, I'm going to stick with God. I'm going to hang in there. And you've got to realize that the trials sometimes will just sneak up on you. You don't even know they're coming. Here they are. Boom. You shouldn't be surprised that they're coming. Why? Because it's going to happen. It's part of life. These folks are living in difficult times, but none of what they're going through, listen, none of what they were going through was a surprise to God. God didn't go, oh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know you were going to have that hardship. I didn't know you were going to have that trial. I didn't know you were going to have that difficulty. I didn't know you were going to have that problem. God didn't go, I didn't see that coming. God saw it all. In fact, they needed to make a choice that says, I'm going to look at trials in a way that's better. I want to see them. It's a blessing from God. Now you're probably thinking, Patrick, you lost your mind. Hardship, trials, difficulties. I don't see that as a good thing. I think that's what James has challenged us on, is to look at it and say, look what God's going to do even through this hardship, through this trial, through this difficulty, through this ugliness. You go, but, but I don't want, I didn't say you want to be in it. I'm telling you, how do you deal with it when you are in it? That's the question, Right? We're going to deal with it. So how do you deal with it? You make a choice. And understand that as our faith is tested, as it's stretched, as it's pushed, we're able then to choose a better pathway in life, to respond in a way that's better and honoring. Nobody arrives at spiritual maturity overnight. Nobody. We're all a work in progress. And God thinks these things to our lives to encourage us, to change, challenge us. In fact, uh, one, of the, one theologian said this, patience must not be an inch shorter than the affliction. Patience must not be an inch shorter than the affliction. If the bridge reach but halfway over the brook, we shall have but ill-favored passage. I like some of these old theologians, the way they write, because we don't talk like that anymore. But we're going to have a hard time. If you're on a, in a hardship and a trial, and you're going through the patience, and you're going across the bridge, and you get across the bridge, and it's not long enough, what happens? Whoops. 
That's not God. God brings us through those things. We need to grasp that. One of the big lessons James is trying to impart to these people is this. In vile times, you will not arrive at spiritual maturity automatically and instantaneously. It's going to be a process. You're going to have to choose to persevere, to hang in, to keep going, and to count it joy. Let the steadfastness have its full effect. Let That you may not be imperfect, that you may not be incomplete, but you may not be lacking, that you'll have everything instead and you'll be ready. So first of all, choose godly perseverance. Second, we've got to choose another thing, godly wisdom. Look at verse 5 again. If any of you lacks wisdom, hello, that's me, y'all with me? And hopefully all of you understand that, that all of us lack some kind of wisdom in some area. So don't say, well, yeah, Patrick's a mess and the rest of us are good. The reality is we're all a mess, right? We all got struggles. Look, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded Man and stable in all his ways. So trials are inevitable. So we have to decide how we're going to respond. The first is to persevere. Second is to surrender. To who? To surrender to God. To choose his godly wisdom. To say, I'm going to listen to your voice over my voice. I'm going to listen to your guiding over my guiding. I'm going to listen to your thoughts over the thoughts of everybody around me who wants to tell me how to do it. And it's a decision that says, I'm going to stick to it. It's greater than tradition, greater than will, greater than my motion to look up and say, God, I want to listen to your voice first and foremost. You know, often when life gets rolling along, I don't know if y'all have this experience or not, but life gets going and we get to doing the things that we're going to do. We get up, hey, it's Monday, I got to do this. It's Tuesday, I do this. It's Wednesday, I do this. Thursday's this. Friday's this. Saturday's this. Sunday's this. We get on that roll. You know what I'm talking about? That roll of life that we go throwing through and we're going and doing the same things again. And it's, you know, sometimes you start thinking, man, it's just like the same stuff all the time. It is. It's just life. It's the way it is. But as we're rolling through those things, we begin to do this. We start saying, well, here's what I think. Here's what I believe. Here's my wisdom. Here's my thought. Here's my idea. Here's my thing. But the problem is, is, is we're not looking to the place we got to look. I heard somebody this morning say, you know, trials are good because they remind me that I need God more than I need me. I need God. The reality is we all need wisdom and specifically a wisdom that's not ours you go well i'm a pretty smart guy i don't care how smart you are compared to god's wisdom you're what infinitesimal small he says go to god ask god ask god who he's not stingy he's not cheap he's not going to hold back on you he's not vindictive with it he's not going to say well if you'll do this and this and this then i'll give you with no he says i want to give it to you ask all you got to do is ask and, and and here's a way a place we need to think of god is 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 very very liberal well, that's not a word we use in baptist church very often but let me tell you god's wisdom is liberal it's available for everybody i'm grateful for god's liberal liberality with his wisdom aren't you that he says, here it is. It's for you. I've got it for you. It's not, well, here's your little dose right here. You get a little bit. I'll give you a little bit later, a little bit later, a little bit later. No, I'm going to just roll it all out there. When you ask. 
Spurgeon said of this verse, we are all so ready to go to books, to go to men, to go to ceremonies, to anything except to God. Consequently, he said, the text does not say, let him ask books or ask priests or let him, but instead it says, let him ask of who? God. But in doing that, we have an element we should not, must not forego. We ask in faith. Did you notice that passage there? Look at it again. Person, verse 7, must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? If he does, he is a double-minded man. Now, the word, the phrase that's translated double-minded is translated a couple different ways in different translations, but it literally means this, to be a double-souled person. And you're going, what? Stop and think with me for a moment. Double-souled. I only have one soul, right? Well, when you're born, you have a soul, Right? Anybody of you, y'all got souls? Y'all with me? Okay. So we got, we got a soul. But then God comes in and gives us forgiveness and he lays on top of that, not a new soul, literally, but a new what? Way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of walking and talking and breathing and existing. But the old soul is still there because that's who we are. Don't be a double-souled person. Don't, don't be over here in, the, in, in the, the pagan past you have, but also here in the holiness of God. Instead, let your mind be centered where? On God. Don't be double-minded. Don't go, well, I could do this or this, or I can be this way or this way, or I can think this or that. No, no, that's unstable. That's, that's foolishness, if you want to be honest. We want to be people who are committed to God, not having divided loyalty, not having a d- divided attention that says, God, well, I could do this, and I'll take care of this, 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 and this, and then God, will you take care of the rest? No. He says, don't be that way. Don't handle it yourself. Run to God. So choose perseverance. Choose what? Wisdom. Third, choose godly encouragement. Look at verse 9 to 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away and in the midst of his pursuits. Now, now grasp what's going on. James is writing to a group of folks that many of them still live in the Jerusalem metro area, if you will. But many have dispersed. And he's talking to the 12 tribes of Israel who have come to know Christ. That's the 12 tribes of not the country Israel, but the guy. Remember, his original name was Jacob, and God renamed him Israel, and he had 12 sons, and they developed a nation and all that. So he's writing to those 12 tribes of people, those nations of people, those groups of people that have been dispersed. And it's not like everybody has the same income and and the same, sounds just like our world, doesn't it? If we had to match our checkbooks here this morning, not one of us would have the same amount as somebody else. You know why? Because we all come from economically different backgrounds and have different situations in life. We're all different. Some of you have children at home. Some of you have children you hadn't seen in years. Some of you got lots of stuff and some, well, let's say you don't have as much. So he's writing a letter to people like us that are dealing with different situations. Some, when they left town, they left with a shirt on their back. That's all they had. Some, they had to call the movers to bring the donkeys and the camels to load it all up and haul it all out of town because they had so much stuff. They're all dealing with it. Some came from humble circumstances. Come, comes, come, some came from a rich. But let me ask you this. If you you got to leave, leave town because things are hard, which is easier? you got a whole bunch of stuff or just a little bit of stuff? 
think it matters. You know why? Because if you're having to leave town because of persecution and hardship and trial and difficulty, it doesn't matter how much you got, it ain't fun. That's his point. I suspect James' answer is, it doesn't matter. Having to run to save your life is an unpleasant experience no matter what. And just like the lowly lowly brother rejoices when he's lifted up and the wealthy can rejoice in their humiliation because they can choose to, every one of us has to understand and be encouraged that no matter what we face, God is with us. And no matter how much you got or how much you don't got, in the end, where do we all stand? At the same place. In front of Jesus. In judgment. And it's not the wealth of a person or the poor, uh, poorness, and that's not a word, but of the, of the, of the one individual. It's the reality we're all going to stand there together. And we don't find our identity in what we have and what we don't have, but we find our identity in the Lord. So what do you do with a passage like this? Well, three thoughts. They may be good thoughts. They may not be. We'll find out. You ready? The first one is this. Your life, your life, how you live your life, how you act, how you do, how you, it reveals your connection ultimately with God. You go, well, what do you mean? When you think about the people living in James's day, one of the reasons they were faced with these fiery trials, these hardships, these difficulties, and you're going you're gonna to think this is odd, but the reason they were facing those things is why? Because they followed who? Because they followed Jesus. They, were, they, they had heard the gospel. Remember, he's not talking to Gentiles that came to know Jesus. He's primarily speaking to Jews who came to know Jesus. They came out of the ritual and the ritual uh, relationships that they had in the Old Testament. So he's talking to a group of people that, that knew the rules, all 613 laws. I mean, they had the list, man. You can do this and you do this. You don't do this. You don't do this. You do this. You do this. You don't do this. You do this. They had a list that you're supposed to remember. I can't even remember the 10, much less the 613, you know. But, but there they were. And, and these people had come to, to, to faith in Jesus. And because of that relationship, that connection, they were facing trial and hardship and difficulty. And, and, and had they remained in the pathway without Jesus, my life probably would have been easier for them. But their life revealed their connection. Because they chose to follow Christ, here's what happened. Their ethics were different. Their interests were different. Their very existence was different. Why? Because Jesus was in the midst of their entirety of life. You're going, okay. And those consequences they face came about because of their relationship with Jesus. So the way we live our lives ultimately reveals what? Our connection. It shows if we're real or not, if we're really following him or not. See, the reality is when you follow Jesus or when you follow Jesus, if you don't already know him, you're going to be labeled. You go, I don't want to be labeled. You're going to be labeled. You're going to be identified. You're going to be marked. What's that going to be? You're going to be called a Christian. You know, that used to be an honorable term in our culture. I'm not so certain it is anymore. But you're going to be labeled. You're a Christian. Oh, you're one of those Jesus people. You're following Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Does, does your life reflect the power and presence of God on a regular basis? Does your life, 
not your neighbor, not your friend, not your husband, not your wife, not your kids, not anybody. Does your life reveal a genuine, living, breathing, active relationship, connection with God? Paul said it this way. This is the way we need to do it. He says, do all things without what? Grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you, what? Shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. A huge step in following Jesus is doing this, saying, God, I'm going to live my life not for me, but for you. I'm going to be connected to you and I want your connection to show through me. I want you to to let me be a, a mirror of sorts that I reflect the light of Jesus. And then I live my life in a way that honors you. You know, in some ways, this ought to be easier now than it used to be because the world is really not that sweet anymore. Isn't that a nice way to say that? Jesus ought to be showing through each one of us. I remember when I was in, in, in doctoral work in, in seminary, we had to do a, an object lesson uh, as part of our preaching part. And one of the guys came in, he came in with a, uh, a tube of toothpaste. And I said, oh, that's going to be interesting. Is he trying to tell us something? You know. And he started talking about the, the, the pressures of life and the hardships of life and the difficulties of life. And he says, let me ask you, what's in this toothpaste tube? Now, we were doctoral students, so we figured it out real quick. It was toothpaste. You all with me? Well, we were sharp, all right? Just like you all are, see? You all are sharp. You all can do doctoral work. It's easy. He says, look what happens when I squeeze this tube. What came out? Toothpaste, of course. He says, the point is, what's on the inside of our lives when things get hard is what's going to come out. So what comes out in the hardships? What comes out in the trials? Don't be those people running around grumbling. Don't be those people around disputing. Don't be those people arguing. Don't be those people. Why? Because if you're doing that, that's what's on the inside. That's who you are. Instead, live a life that honors God and reveal your connection with him. Number two, choose your wisdom source carefully. You know, there are a million places to find wisdom today, isn't there? There's a million places. You can say, hey, Google. I didn't hear a phone go off. Good. Man. How about this one? Hey, Siri. No, I didn't get that one either. I thought I might get a response this morning from one of the phones in the room. We can ask Alexa. You all try that one yet? Alexa. Alexa goes, who are you? Oh, anyway. We can ask our friends. We can ask our neighbors. But where's the best source to find wisdom in life? You all know the answer to this. This is not like rocket science this morning. You all are doctoral students. You are smart this morning, right? We can handle this. Where's the best source of information for life? Where's the source of wisdom? It's not me. It's not you. It's not our neighbor. It's not Facebook. It's not social media. It's not anywhere else. But who? God of heaven and King of lords, a Lord of lords, right? His word. That's where we need to find it. So when trials come, where do we run? Well, we run to our neighbors and we ask them what they think. We get on social media and put a post out there and say, let's say, hey, what do you all think about this? I got to tell you, I have never done that. I don't plan to. Our answer is where? Jesus and his word. 
Solomon, the smartest, wisest man to ever live on planet earth, he said this about it. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Solomon was writing to his boys, is what he was doing, his sons, and most of Proverbs. And he's writing to them saying, you're going to live a life that honors God and does well. Who do you look to? Get that wisdom, get that insight. Don't forget it. Where do you go? To God. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. God has given me the truth to share with you. Listen to the good words and the wise counsel of God. Don't look to the collective ignorance of social media. Don't look to the warped philosophies of people. But look where? To holy God. Third, endure the trials like Jesus. Remember James was writing about uh, his relationship with God and trying to encourage the people he was pastoring and serving with to, to hang in there, to follow God. And he's actually talking about his brother. Can, can you... Can you imagine for a minute with me, you grew up in a house with a whole bunch of kids and your oldest brother is the son of God. Well, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? I don't have an older brother. I got an older sister. She thinks she's the son of God, but that's a different story. I hope she's not watching. Um, But here's the reality. He's saying, don't look to anywhere but Jesus, look how he dealt with the trials. Look how he with it. We have this high calling of God to follow him. We have the power of God to endure. We, we, therefore, the way we're going to go through the life that he has for us, whether it's difficult or hard or easy or what, is to do it like Jesus did. How did he do it? Well, are we going to face arrest and abuse? Probably not. Are we going to have to lose our life for following Jesus? Probably not. Will most of us have to relocate our families because if we don't, our children are going to get hurt because of Jesus? No, probably not. So what do we do? Paul uh, is, 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 Peter was an interesting guy. You remember Peter? You, y'all remember Peter? He, he, he was, he was kind of loudmouth. And you remember when things got hard, remember what he said? Jesus said, you're going to, you're going to fail me. Tonight. He says, oh no, not me. What did Peter do? Three times. He failed him. And then he felt like a pile of dirt for a while until up at the seashore of Galilee, you remember what happened? Jesus forgave him. He says, hey, go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Get on with it. Live the life you're supposed to. Hang in there. Endure. Keep going. You know, Peter ended up taking the gospel and sharing it across parts of Asia Minor uh, and into uh, what is today Greece. He ended up probably in, in, in Rome eventually. And he wrote a letter... Uh, talking about struggles and trials. and This is from a guy who failed miserably. And here's what he said. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. Endure the trials like Jesus did. The way Jesus went through the trials, he did what? He looked to God. He said, look to God. That's the call that we have in our lives. In the face of trials, who do we, who do we praise? We praise God. In the face of trials, where do we look? Not down, but where? Up. To say, God, I'm going to trust you. And in the face of trials, realize that who you are and whose you are and what your life is all about. Folks, our days are only so long on this planet. Some of you say, well, I got less ahead of me than behind me. Yeah, me too, probably. You know what? But every one of them is a day that we can live for the Lord. And that we honor God with what we have and what we do. To learn to lean into Him. Maybe you don't know the Lord. That's the place to start. Maybe that's the beginning for you. For many of us, that's not the issue. The issue is we've let the run of life 
take over our thinking. And we're more focused on what we're going to do today for us and tomorrow for us and the day after that for us than what we're doing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the way we live for him. So I want to challenge you just to follow the Lord with everything you do. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your name today, to come and to worship, to sing, to pray, to look at your word. Father, we thank you for your brother Jesus, for your Jesus' brother James and his writing and what he shared with us in this book about how to live a victorious life. Father, the world doesn't get better until Jesus comes back. As we know you're coming. But until that day, God, we want to live our lives in a way that honors you, that blesses you, that lifts you up, that places you center stage of our lives. Father, we pray that as we respond to your word, we would do that in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.